Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. It was a wild and windy weekend in the Six Nations, so much so that I'm Billy Nomates here in the News UK studio with most of my ruck colleagues still struggling to get back from Edinburgh. Storm Kira made its presence felt but couldn't stop England weathering the storm. Ireland and France, of course, winning their fixtures. I'm Lawrence Delalio, and giving us weather updates from various parts of the UK will be the Times top team of Owen Slot and Stephen Jones. Owen, you're joining me from, I'm hoping, somewhere warm uh, and not storm swept. Well, it's hardly the Caribbean, but it, but it is, um, it is southwest London, which is, uh, which is very mm. splendid. Given that I was up at five o'clock uh, to try and um, fight my way onto the first train from uh, Edinburgh to London. Um, uh, yeah, the things that you do to uh, to to get out of Scotland sometimes. Oh, that's not going to go down very well, is it? Well, um, no. I mean, just talking about the weather. Have you have you ever, in your long and illustrious career, called a game in such horrendous conditions? We were asked to um to nominate the worst ever game, and um I, I was I was a bit stuck on the uh, the first lines test in two thousand and five. You probably already got injured and gone home by then, Lawrence, didn't you? Yeah, I um, certainly had. First game, I got injured, not the first test. Yeah. No, I was just yeah, that was um that was just sort of the way you did lines tours, wasn't it? After the first one, you kind of um didn't quite manage to see him out. No, well, um, no. I mean, obviously, I saw the writing on the wall clearly. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, no one was saying that you pat your bags and got out before before it got got messy. Uh, uh, but that, that that was pretty horrendous. I suppose the thing the thing about that lines test in in New Zealand, if you like, was you, you could also see which direction the game was going. Very very early on, whereas it, Murrayfield on on Saturday was bloody awful, really, mm. especially for for loads and loads of fans who just got sopping wet because this uh, this storm Kiara can make uh, can make rainfall go horizontal. I, I, I managed to stay dry, but the, the thing about the game was I don't know was it a level or whatever you, you couldn't tell who was going to win really till about till five minutes ago. No, I mean, listen, I, I played in the uh, in the game at Murrayfield in in two thousand, and obviously the heavens opened up and. And uh, and washed away our chances of, uh, of of winning that game, and Scotland played the conditions better. But you kind of think at least the two teams in in this game kind of knew what was coming. I mean, St- Storm Kira was was widely kind of um, discussed and talked about. But I mean, I was in Edinburgh like you on on the morning of the game, and it was beautiful blue sky, sunshine, yeah. and you sort of thought, well, you know, maybe this storm's not coming. But then around about sort of half past twelve, you could see the weather turning, and literally. As the two sets of players walked out, it decided to sort of open up, didn't it, really? And, and the first half was kind of highlighted by the, by the wind, and, and boy, was it a, a strong wind. And then, of course, the second half was more about, about the rain itself. And uh, as you said in, in, in your report, I mean, it became much more a test about your, your kind of courage, tenacity, wits, and, and just a stark reminder that rugby can be quite a, 
quite a simple, brutal game when the, when the weather plays havoc like that. It was interesting walking out of the press box and um, and some people that they they literally their first word was God that was the worst game I've ever seen and and then a few uh, some of the rest of us I don't know what the split was it wasn't as if we did a survey some of us were going oh really I I I really enjoyed it I mean I wouldn't want to watch a game like that next week or the week after or probably another one like that this year but just as a weird one off I thought it was really intriguing I really enjoyed watching the the players grapple with these strange circumstances and, and because of that it sort of fell into into the sort of the current conversation about the England team that that they can't work things out on the hoof you know they can only they can only follow the program and once once that goes wrong then then they're all at sea i mean they they, they were pretty much all at sea on on saturday for different reasons but mm. but they they i don't i don't know if you think Lawrence that they managed the conditions well or not but they did it they did it well enough to eventually find a way to win the game and I, and i thought that was i thought that was a really interesting spectacle to watch. They coped far better than than Scotland with the conditions. I think they worked out that the kicking had become a real lottery. And, you know, I was talking to a lot of fans after the game and they were obviously disappointed with the quality of the match itself, littered with mistakes quite understandably because of the conditions. And I don't think unless you've played Test Rugby, you can really appreciate how hard those conditions were to play in. You know, kicks were going up in the air and were almost like they were on a bungee rope being pulled back in the other direction you know and then when you just thought you'd mastered the you know the conditions then you, you'd send a kick up and it would go out on the full I mean the line out throwing I mean poor hookers and jumpers I mean where do you call the line outs where do you throw them the the referee bless him uh, was I think was giving them a little bit of leniency but uh, it's quite hard when it goes closer to the stand than it does to a jumper so no look I thought England played the conditions well in in the sense that George Ford kind of stepped up and, and, and recognised the, the need maybe to keep the ball a bit lower. Uh, I thought the back row particularly, we, we always knew that that was going to be a, a keenly contested battle. And, and you have to say that uh, in terms of their ability to, to beat their counterparts to the breakdown and, and affect the turnovers, I think you know the English back row won that battle comfortably. I think it was something like oh, yeah. eight or nine turnovers to, to Scotland's one and some pretty heavy tackling. So, uh, yeah, look, it it was just a different game. England will be delighted that they got away with the W, that they've come away, they've, they've got their championship hopes back on track, if you like. And I'm not sure that they'll read too much into that performance um, other than the fact that, they, that they, they got away with a win. Just a couple of points, Lawrence. I hear what you're saying when you say you've got to have played um, international rugby to sort of appreciate how how hard those conditions were. But I think any punters in town running around looking to find their mates in a pub in the rain with all that wind, I think we all appreciate exactly what they were going through and how hard it was. I mean, what conditions we face trying to find the right watering hole at sort of uh, <laughs> 9.30, 10 in the evening. So that, so that that was hard. You mentioned the line-out. I thought that was really interesting because um, Jamie George lost something like two of his first three or four line-outs. Mm. And he, he thought, this is a bad day and it's the wind and and um, and, and how's that going to affect him? He, after that, he, he seemed to work it out. I don't know if that's uh, him and George Cruz, you know, the, the Saracens partnership who know each other so well. But I don't think they lost another line-out after that, their sort of early blip, whereas the Scots just... Uh, just uh, deteriorated there. I mean, their, their line-out was like, I think they got 50% return from their line-out. So, so I think I think that was an example to me of, of, of an area where England went, hang on a second, th- this, is, this is not normal. We've got to do something different. I mean, mm. throwing to the back was uh, was a nonsense. They all, they all stopped doing that after a while. But 
I thought George did did pretty well there. I thought it was interesting watching people like Johnny May, you know, uh, just a tell, hor- horrible day, just standing around getting freezing cold, wondering when the, the next ball's going to be stuck over your head, you know, having to watch it coming down <clears> out of the sky. I thought Johnny May did, did, did brilliantly un- under those circumstances. Uh, it must have been just a horrible day to to, to be a, a, a back, particularly an outside back. And I think that's kind of what we saw when Stuart Hogg made, you know, the error that, that kind of conceded the game, really. Absolutely frozen. He had a, a really dynamic game. And then, then you know, wet ball, wet, wet cold hands, just marginally made the wrong decision. And, and two phases later, whatever it was, England had scored the try. Uh, really felt from on that occasion. Yeah, look, I, I mean, it wasn't a game to see any sort of uh, passing or running rugby, simple as that. Uh, I don't think the two set Scottish centres made a single pass the entire game. England and, and Eddie Jones must take some credit for, for recognising what was coming uh, in terms of the storm. Went with a 6-2 bench split, uh, which some people questioned got distracted by the the pre-match sort of hype around uh, around collisions etc but I think you know he clearly recognized that there wasn't going to be a lot of passing going on and and certainly uh, you know that looks like a very good decision given that uh, it it was pretty much pick and go from the forwards particularly when um, when Ben Youngs came on the field so uh, and Ben Earl by the way I thought when Ben Earl came on I yeah. thought it was a uh, really high quality well obviously Ellis Gaines made quite quite an impact didn't he Lawrence would you um would you here was the conversation afterwards did, did you did you think that that was an, an abhorrent game that you wouldn't like to see again and therefore would you advocate you know, if there was enough money to go around a roof being put on every international stadium, or, or, or do you, or do you like, you know, once a once a decade or so for a complete aberration like that to come along and just uh, give us all a bit of a surprise? Well, they <laughs> they talk. I'm not sure. I mean, as a player, I've probably got one view. As a fan, I might have a slightly different view uh, because it wasn't pleasant uh, just getting around. But look, rugby's about character and, and you know, your character is tested in different circumstances when you're playing at home, when you're playing away from home, um, you know, when you're in hot conditions, when you're in humid conditions, as we saw in Japan, and when you're in apocalyptic conditions, as we saw up at Murrayfield. Um, and I think it is a test of character. So I wouldn't like to see those conditions as bad as they were, but, you know, you've got to live with it. And it's uh, it's just one of those games where, you know, you find a way of winning. And, and England did that. You know, listen, they, they, they were into the wind, weren't they? And it, you sort of thought to yourself, have they got enough points on the board? And even when it got to three all late in the second half you know there was a concern that that for all their ability to 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 play the conditions slightly better than Scotland both at set piece and and in terms of their kicking game uh, they didn't have enough points on the board and it was anyone's game but but they dug deep and they found a way to win I mean, I mean if you're up front you, you know you've just got to get stuck in and, and pick and go and even if you make two or three yards it's one of those games of rugby that it's almost better not to play the rugby if that makes sense and I think England worked that out uh, once they got themselves ahead with that pick and drive um, you know from Ellis Genge and Mario Toji driving him over you know that was going to be the score that won the game so uh, a couple of things for me that a lot's been made about this bottle of beer that was thrown at the team coach. I mean, you know, shock horror. England receive hostile atmosphere when they pull up at Murrayfield. I mean, England... no, have you seen the? Um, have you seen some of the video footage of that? Well, it's a bit inconclusive. I mean, in conditions like that, you never quite know whether it's blown there or, or whatever. But uh, look, it looks like it was just an a, just an empty plastic bottle that was yeah. blowing about in the wind, and it yeah. it landed on his head. I mean. Yeah. Yeah, uh, that that was a stupid incident, yeah. or well, it was stupid to have brought it up because no one really knew how it got there, and 
if someone had dropped it on, tried to drop it on Neil Craig's head on purpose from from you know from the from the staircase above yeah. or that one of those outside outside sort of a climbing staircases, it would have been absolutely impossible to judge it because it would blow miles away. So it can only have been an accident. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's, that's, I mean, uh, I mean, I'm I'm slightly concerned about the a lot of the language that was used in the build up to the game, in the sense that you know we in the press, um, you know, have used that as a way of really hyping the match up in terms of something that you know and creating this kind of so-called animosity which is you know which is only there for 80 minutes quite frankly and the rest of the time we we get on pretty well so uh, I'm slightly concerned about that and that's something that that Eddie Jones and his team probably just need to talk about in terms of who's in charge of the language in the build-up to a game because I know as a former captain of of England and for my club Eddie seems to have this way of of picking a theme you know with with it with France it was about brutality in the build-up to the Ireland game you know he questioned uh, a couple a couple of years ago he questioned Johnny Sexton and his you know ability to play consecutively I think he had a go at Rhys Patchell once in, in the build-up to the Wales game. And I just think you've got to be a little bit careful sometimes that you just get the, the balance right between inspiring your own team and, and actually motivating the opposition. And I, I felt in the French game, we, we as a, a nation got it horribly wrong. Already Jones it got it wrong. Got I be- think, Lawrence, the, um, the most inflammatory language actually for the whole weekend was when Ellis Genge suggested that the media were a bunch of sausages. Um, I think I'm not sure if he was re- referring to to Alex Lowe there when when, when when he mentioned chipolatas, but um, yeah, the, the whole thing about inflammatory language before a game is, is is kind of interesting because the other side of that argument, which you, you're very well aware of, because you've been on both sides of it, the other side of that argument is you can have players in particular who 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 are scared to voice an opinion or say anything interesting. You know, they're so dumbed down these days, and and that doesn't do the game any good at all. You know, we rather bizarrely it was Dylan Hart. He was on Twitter on, I think, Saturday or Friday evening or something going, oh, we, we mustn't silence the players because uh, because the game needs characters. I mean, that's about the most hypocritical thing I've ever seen from, <laughs> from, a, from a player. Because his three years of captain, he absolutely dumbed himself down out of all a recognition <clears> from a, who, who, a guy who was a, a really very decent personality before that. But nevertheless... He's correct. This is a game about, as you said just now, it's about characters and personalities, and and we need all that. We we really must encourage people and players to come forward and tell them what what tell us what they're thinking, what they're passionate about, what they're interested in, and it doesn't have to be silly mudslinging mm. as it became last week. And Lewis Ludlam got a bit of criticism for doing some of the the mudslinging, but on the other hand. He was pretty much the only player who said anything interesting, apart from Sam Johnson, who threw some mud from the other side. It was it was a little bit of tit for tat, and I I kind of think that anyone who couldn't see that was taking it a bit too seriously. I just thought they acquitted themselves quite well on a on an appalling day. Mm. Uh, criticism of was it a bad game or or did they all play badly because they dropped so many balls? I mean, I just. You know, you said it yourself, you, you can't really, you, unless you tried to do that yourself, you can't really anticipate quite how bad it is. So I, th- I thought England did quite well. And it's impossible to glean much from that at all, apart from, yeah, they stood up and, and were counted on that day. But, but it will be interesting to see what impact it has further down the tournament. It's one, one area, well, one player that, w- that was definitely uh, missing in action at Murrayfield was of course Finn Russell and so much has been written and said about him he's actually come out now and said never mind rebuilding the relationship with Gregor Townsend Um, I never really had a relationship or I I don't have a relationship with him in the first place can you see any any chance of a of a immediate return I mean we all thought that this was um, you know maybe a a lapse of discipline a, a breach of the team code of conduct and it might be a one or maybe a two game 
sort of uh, omission, but but it looks like like the cuts are a bit deeper than that, doesn't it, with Finn Russell and, and Gregor Townsend and the wider Scotland squad as well. I think, Lawrence, the, the, the wider Scotland squad thing is, is the really interesting bit here. There's so many busted relationships here. So self-proclaimed fan of Gregor Townsend a, a, as a bloke, let alone as a, as a coach. I think he's a really good guy. But I'm, I was astonished to read that uh, that they haven't really built a relationship and they haven't got on for a year or, or whatever it was that, that Finn said. Uh, that just that just surprised me. I can't work out why that's happened, why that's been allowed to happen. Mm. But when, when you're talking about rebuilding these bridges or building bridges or whatever, it, it's it's not just um, Townsend that uh, that Finn Russell has um, has effectively sort of gone to war with. I, mean, I don't know if I can really say this because it was a fantastic interview in the Times, it was in the Sunday Times yesterday. You know, great property for us. Every single journalist wanted that interview and Mark Palmer from the Sunday Times got it but you've got to wonder what the rest of that scotland squad going to think when they read that and they see their star man their star exile man calling out the, the coach call, saying you know just hanging out the dirty linen um uh, uh, making the wounds deeper and deeper this is a team that wants to go and beat italy in a fortnight's time and then really get the show back on the road for the rest of the six nations i mean he's, he's just it just seems to me like he's he's pulled it apart <clears throat> a bit more and I don't know how well you know Finn Russell, Lawrence. I mean, I don't really know him, but I do know that because he's this sort of maverick genius magician guy and he's got this impish smile and, and he does stuff that, that we all just gasp at and think are, are wonderful. I, I just wonder if, if he's sometimes people are a bit too forgiving about the fact that 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 you know one what what he did at the time in the, in the bar when he refused to obey the team rules his own teammates were telling him to to stop to stop drinking well what one just that flagrant kind of uh, a disregard for that uh, and two then uh, damaging the team further in the paper i just sort of wonder what sort of a guy he really is i think the relationship between Finn russell and the scotland team and and this kind of breakdown in relations with gregor townsend particularly goes way beyond this championship you know if you look back to last yeah. season when you know things obviously were inspired by Finn russell at half time um, but then this open criticism of your coach uh, in the press conference afterwards is not really the way that a senior player and a coach relationship should be managed. You know, you just keep it behind closed doors and you just say, look, we had a bit of a chat at halftime. You know, we might have had a, a little disagreement or two, but didn't we produce a wonderful performance in the second half? And airing your dirty linen in public is not the way you do it between coach and player. And there's only there's only one winner in this, and that's Gregor Townsend. You've got to rebuild bridges, you know, but as I said, I think the, the cuts go a lot deeper than what we've seen in the last couple of weeks. And, it's up to Finn Russell to prove to his teammates that actually playing for Scotland means something to him. And that's not about, you know, obeying or disobeying Gregor Townsend. That's about just being professional and, and respecting your teammates in a way that clearly he hasn't. You, you say there's only one winner in this, which is Gregor Townsend. Do, do you not think he's made Gregor's own um, position slightly uh, <clears throat> slightly less certain? I mean, Gregor needs a performance and, a, and some victories out of this team. And and the fact that, that he's now unable to pick his star 10, that's another thing that stands against him. So if you're his boss is going, do we keep him on after the Six Nations? Do we rescind his contract or whatever? Then, then, then like it or not, this, this doesn't help him, does it? No, it, it doesn't. Uh, and because they're off the back of a number of poor results, there's a lot more pressure. But again, you know, the SRU is, is, uh, is in the spotlight here because, 
you know, do you back your coach for the reasons that you've already highlighted, um, or do you, or do you back a player uh, in terms of his his behaviour? Uh, and if I'm the SRU, you know, I'd back my I'd back the coach all the way, regardless of the results. You know, you've clearly got a Scotland team that have, that have pulled together and played for each other as much as they possibly can, and uh, I'm sure that the majority of the players if not all of them are 100% behind you know their coach Gregor Townsend in in this regard so uh, hopefully we'll hear a bit more from both sides about this but uh, I can't see any immediate return back to the Scotland squad for the uh, for the remainder of this championship the way it looks but one man who um, hopefully has made a return is uh, the Sunday Times Stephen Jones he was uh, stuck in Edinburgh overnight uh, and hopefully he's now returned home safely with a few tales of his own Hi Lawrence, hi guys, hello Ruckers, wherever you are in the kingdom. Uh, myself, I'm just walking into the North Midlands area now, uh, North Midlands of England that is. To get back from the Calcutta Cup was horrendously difficult for so many of us. Trains were running hours and hours late or not at all. Aircraft were simply not even bothering to come out of their hangars. My colleague uh, Stuart Barnes um, has told me that his five-hour train journey down from Edinburgh took 12 hours. There were no catering, there were no loos available, and imagine that, 12 hours with Barnes droning on. It must have been absolutely horrendous. I chose the walking option. It is a long way, I wasn't really prepared for it, but I've now almost reached Walsall on the way down. As I left uh, Murrayfield after work on Saturday, I saw Lawrence Delanio come by in a giant limousine taxi. And uh, he looked out the window, rolled the window down and said, Lawrence, what are you doing? He said, well, I'm going to London by taxi. I said, um, uh, well, Lawrence, I've got nowhere getting back. Um, can I join you? There were four empty seats. Do you know what happened? He rolled the window down. He said, drive on, driver. And I never saw them again. Well... That's teamwork for you. Uh, I set off down through the Scottish borders, Peebles area, then Langholm, then Gretna Green, where my first two marriages took place. My, my mum and dad just didn't understand me. I wanted to marry an English woman. I'd crossed Hadrian's Wall just around then. It was, it was difficult, but um, a, a local lent me a ladder. Uh, I came decided to come down the east of the Lake District, uh, Kendal, into Yorkshire, then uh, across the Pennines, Bloody chilly up there, it really was, windy and everything, but uh, managed to get through okay, onto Bradford, uh, then onwards down into England, uh, the English Midlands, and uh, now I'm just having a, a, a beer in, um, in Walsall, and uh, looking forward to the next phase of the journey. It's been a long walk, but one I wouldn't like to repeat, um, but um, this time it had to be done, and I've managed to carry my laptop and my binoculars all this way. What about the game? Horrendous weather. My theory is, or at least my opinion is, that it wasn't quite as horrendous as the game made out. I thought um, sometimes you get games where the skill of the teams and the preparation helps them to overcome the elements. Well, they were never going to overcome all those elements. I remember looking back to a, a New Zealand game at Stradley Park for Nathalie uh, a long time ago, maybe 20 years ago, and... Um, uh, it was so horrendous that uh, they closed the Struddy Park stands. Half the crowd couldn't get in there. And when you were walking along the ground, uh, towards the ground, there were slates blowing off the roof and chimney pots. It really was horrendously dangerous. There's no way it would have been on today. But I always remember how brilliantly the All Blacks coped. They'd sat down and they'd worked it out. And um, considering that the two teams on Saturday had 
three days warning of the forecast and we all knew exactly when the rain and the wind would start. I, I just thought it was slightly disappointing. That may be hard on them, but I, I really did. I don't. I think uh, it was almost like the hurricane force winds with monsoon rains have been lashing where, in fact, it wasn't like that. Um, England won. I thought that they were the steadier at the end. A brilliant kick by George Ford, which trapped and captured poor old Stuart Hogg under his own posts. Agonisingly, it wouldn't bounce over the line for him. And then uh, some good play. Alex Genge in the deciding mall, uh, deciding mall of the match, uh, just waiting his time, waiting till uh, he was latched onto by three England forwards, and off they went. What could you tell about the game? Or what could you tell about future games? Well, I still think the England selection is wrong in, se- in several areas. Um, I don't think that Willie Hines is, God bless him, uh, an international player, very, very fine at Gloucester, but not an international player. And I do think that the current squad, his, it shows the time that was wasted in the last four years when other players could have, and should have been developed. As far as Scotland go, very disturbed indeed at their first half. There's nothing in the wind or the rain which would stop you playing with vast passion. And I thought the opening exchanges of the game showed to me that Scotland did not really believe that they could do it and did not uh, really commit 100%. It was really powder puff from both sides early on. Scotland, when they did start playing, in fact, in my opinion, in the third quarter, probably, probably did enough to deserve to win the game. But it was England who did by scoring the points and good on them. An odd week of the Six Nations. Uh, The transport was really difficult. I'm just looking for a cobbler in the Walsall area. I was going to say if anyone knows one, please uh, give the Sunday Times a ring, but um, they actually think I'm already at home, so I don't want them to think I'm uh, lazing around somewhere in uh, England. So I'm going to find a cobbler on the way down. Uh, There's a lot of cobblers in this area. A fair amount of cobblers spoken in the studio as well, but um, I'll hand back to Lawrence and the guys. Just say, Lawrence, uh, thanks for the lift, which you almost gave me. I can tell you next time I'm leaving in my helicopter and you want to be somewhere quickly... I will be giving a nod to the pilot and we will be in the air before you can say Jack Robinson. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's, a, it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. 
So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Well, Wales were frustrated after Wayne uh, Pivak's first defeat as coach. You could say that neither side really excelled given the quality that they have and the conditions. But I don't think either coach on the other side of it, deserves quite the criticism that they seem to be getting. Andy Farrell has got Ireland off to a, uh, a solid start, I think is the way we'd look at it. Play 2-1-2. Two, two. Certainly the feeling from within the Ireland dressing room is is that they're a lot happier, even if their performances aren't quite delivering the sort of fireworks that many Ireland fans expect. I think they look very efficient. And Wales, you know, they're going through a change, aren't they? They're, they're moving away from Warren Gatland's style of rugby and they're playing a little bit more instinctively, a little bit more off the cuff. And, and I think, you know, Pivak just going to take a little bit of time. You know, Owen, how would you kind of assess the Farrell and Pivak situation after the, those first two games? I thought that that was a, a real game for the cliche of fine margins because what did Ireland win? Four tries to one, I think it was. I didn't really feel that for a lot of that game they were a lot better. They weren't four tries to one better, but they they just managed to finish a few things off. They scored that first try through really shoddy defence. You know, the Wales shouldn't let that through. Is is that a reflection on the Wales team? Not not really. They just they switched off. Poor Wales should have finished off at least two more of their tries, and which they might have done on another day. I, I didn't see that as convincing, really convincingly, one way or the other. But but the, what it does do is it. Uh, creates that thing that, that everyone says you need in the Six Nations, which is momentum. So, as you say, Ireland have got two wins on the trot. The first one was really scrappy. The second one they thought was much better. So they're now coming to Twickenham in a fortnight's time, feeling really happy with life. And and they're also making really positive noises about what it's like in, in, in Camp Andy Farrell and, and uh, how they're trusted more and how they have the, 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 the robot Joe Schmidt's gone and uh, happy days are here. And just for them to be saying and thinking and feeling that must have a, a real positive impact on their game. So I don't actually think they have played that well yet at all, but, but they've got the momentum. So, something's going in the right direction. And Wales, I mean, they I don't really feel they're that far behind, but but they haven't got the momentum. They have probably started, got those got those early worries about you know what? What? Why didn't it work out? And what's going on? I, as I say, I, as I said earlier on in the, in the program, I, I just think the Six Nations is really interesting because a lot of teams are sort of around the middle, not great, not terrible. Still, really, anyone can win it. Yeah, and I think apart it, from Scotland and Italy, I think in his defence, um, you know, Pivac just needs the fans to be a little bit more patient. You know, clearly. He's been robbed of a, a couple of key players, particularly in the centre of the field, um, which, which I think, given the type of rugby that he's trying to um, to promote, is is always going to be a, a bit of an issue. He's got George North, obviously playing there at the moment, and, and someone relatively new in, in in Tompkins, who's a wonderful player, but it's going to take a little bit of time to to find his feet. Uh, and then no Liam Williams, so I think they're. You know, there's mitigation with with Wales, and I think Ireland certainly, if you look at their um, their provincial sides, look the best placed really to uh, to challenge to try and do something in this t- in this championship. Because as you say, they've got off to a solid start, but we all know for those of us who watch Leinster and Ulster and and even Munster, there's there's enough quality there for them to really up their game. And and let's not forget England fans that, as Johnny Sexton mentioned in his press conference afterwards, you know, the English have have spanked Ireland twice in the last couple of years. Um, so they go to Twickenham knowing there'll be a, 
no lack of motivation against against England, uh, and they're well aware of what England have done to them, certainly in the in the last couple of years. If we move on to to France, I mean, obviously, uh, you know, they got the job done, so to speak, a bonus point win in the end, but they were clearly nowhere near as good as they'd been against England. On the one side, that's kind of to be expected for such a young squad. But I don't know if you saw the TV the TV analysis. It was a, a wonderful colleague of mine, Joe Worsley, who sort of talked about the fact, he said it's a bit like going to a party the first game. You know, you leave the party uh, having had one of the best parties of your life and then you go to another party and you expect it to be a bit better, but it doesn't quite live up to the expectations. And you can kind of understand that analogy. They, they weren't expected to beat England and they did. And then they're obviously expected to thump Italy uh, and they found a few problems. Yeah, I, I have to um, admit, Lawrence, that, that well, two things here. I think I enjoy all parties as much as I possibly can. And secondly, that game was, uh, I, I was in, in the Holyrood 9A pub in, um, in Edinburgh when that game was going on. I was writing some uh, immensely fine words for the newspaper. I had about 27 pieces to, to, to write because the, um, the sports desk kept on ringing me up and saying, can you do a little bit on this? Can you do a little bit on that? And I have to say, I didn't really notice what was going on. I just checked the score from time to time to see it was going in the direction I expected. <clears throat> so my conclusions are still that, that Antoine Dupont is the best player in the uh, in the Six Nations, um, even though I didn't watch any of the game. If you're Sean Edwards, you're probably thinking to yourself, well, we've beaten England, and you know what would be a good way to go into the Wales game? You know, would it be off the back of thumping Italy uh, with that little bit of sort of almost confidence, or? You know, personally speaking, knowing the man himself, um, he's probably going to get stuck into this French, uh, this French team and a lot of their players in in their review, uh, and just show them some of the things that that if you want to be a top class player and a, and a top class side, that's that that's how not to do things. You know, let to, to give a side a, a foot up, you know, back in the game. And I I think it's not the worst performance from from a French perspective going into what will be a key game, maybe even the one that decides the outcome of the of the title. Because if they if they're able to win that game away from home, then uh, it really does set them up nicely. Let's talk about Italy a little bit. There, there were signs of life for Italy, weren't there? They were they were so much <laughs> so, so much more improved. I mean, I, I say that because there's so many people slamming Italy, saying they shouldn't be in the championship. What's that? How many? Twenty two, twenty three, twenty four consecutive games now in the Six Nations without winning. But it was a much improved performance from the one against Wales, particularly in attack. And I don't know if anyone saw, well, you wouldn't have seen it, Owen, because you're probably on your sixth or seventh pint by then. But Easy now, Lawrence. I said it was working. <clears throat> the final try that Italy scored would have been worthy of any any fixture of rugby. It was a wonderful you know, example of offloading. And yes, they lost the game, but I did think there were signs for Franco Schmidt that, 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 that things might be heading in the right direction. The Scotland-Italy game has just got extra interest now, hasn't it? Mm. If, uh, if Scotland can't pull that one off, then it's, it's great for Italy because it, it, it's finally shown some life and they've got something uh, in the win column. And, but, but furthermore, if, if it were to go against Scotland, then just going back to what we say before, if, if Gregor Townsend seemed were to lose that without Finn Russell, etc., just puts more pressure on him. I'm delighted if, you're, if you say that, that um, Italy were, were improved in that game because we just, we just need it. It's a... Uh, you know, I don't think anyone really wants the team to uh, fail at um, with such regularity. I mean, they haven't won since, I don't know, when was it? Before you started playing, Lawrence, probably. Yeah, we just we, we need a better Italy. So hopefully uh, some momentum from them as well. So some AOB over the weekend. One of the big talking points was the possibility of South Africa joining the Six Nations. And Owen, I don't know what your opinions are. I mean, I guess this is not something we should... Um, we should be surprised by really, given uh, the the changing landscape of uh, 
of, of rugby, whether it be domestically in terms of uh, everyone looking for, for, for different solutions. I mean, why, why wouldn't people propose that the likes of maybe Japan or, or even South Africa join the Six Nations? No, no reason not to at all. It's, um, it's uh, interesting sports marketing, if you like it. Professor Rugby is a changing world and, uh, and it's, it's, it's not, not got very solid foundations at the moment. So things need to change. When Bill Beaumont became uh, chairman of World Rugby four years ago, one of his pledges was to sort out the world calendar and uh, in effect to try and make the economics of the game work properly. And he, he's failed in that, I mean, quite frankly, so far. He's looking for another term now and I wish him all the best because it needs to be sorted out. I think we're getting ahead of ourselves a bit with this talk of our South Africa coming into the six uh, nations is going to be seven at the moment. I, I think it's... Uh, uh, a very, very, very long way from fruition. The fact that people are and have discussed it is only sensible because you you would be stupid not to when everyone's trying to work out where they are. But it's also it's also also phenomenally dangerous because the, the, the as I say the foundations of the game uh, internationally weak. And if you pull South Africa away from the rugby championship and the Sanzar nations and bung them into Europe, then d- does not the uh, the whole Sanzar operation come tumbling down? Yeah, I mean it's interesting, Pete. People would say that I have this point of view because I work for a broadcaster, but I do think sometimes that rugby has its has itself a little bit inside out, back to front. You know, they come up with a, with the schedule of the season, and then they go out to the broadcasters and say, "How much would you like to pay for that?" And when you look at yeah. when you look at the schedule of the season, the broadcaster says, "Well, you've got this thing called the Six Nations right in the middle of it, and you want us to to show club rugby right in the middle of the Six Nations. That doesn't work." You know, my view. The broadcaster should write the calendar and, and then the number that they're prepared to pay would, be, would go up significantly because it would be a product that, that, that they could really monetize and commercialize uh, on their channels. I just think the rugby's got it completely the wrong way around. They've, they've shoehorned over many years different tournaments and taken some out. And I just think there needs to be a massive rethink. And I think the people paying the money, which are the, you know, the, the broadcasters, whether they be BT, Sky, whoever, uh, are the ones that really can dictate you know, how much money is paid by, by writing the calendar themselves. But anyway, as Correct. you say, it's a conversation for another time. A couple of other quick stories. The women's Six Nations has, uh, has got off to a wonderful start, but not only did the Wales women lose to Ireland in Dublin, but they also then had to take a cold shower after the game. <laughs> Poor things. That was utter... I mean, I know what they feel like, because I did that at King's Home for many, many a year until they actually decided to put some heating in the away dressing room. And just uh, finally, Owen, I don't know if you heard anything about this, but the RFU were forced to deny strenuously Bill Sweeney came out with a comment that Razzie Erasmus had been approached to be England's next coach. I mean, I think that's just a little bit unfair. The fact that he went to watch a game because Scotland happened to be South Africa's next opponents, I think doesn't really give anyone licence to, to say that he's met with the RFU. Correct, but the story came from South Africa and from sources in South Africa saying that that's why he'd come over. I don't think it was. I don't think it was a South African journalist seeing him uh, in the stadium and then and then putting uh, one and one together to make uh, twenty seven. So so the RFU have denied it completely and utterly. Say it's 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 complete rubbish. They haven't spoken to him. Haven't made an approach or anything. If they had been, would it have been such a stupid thing, Lawrence? We don't know if Eddie's going to stay. Maybe Eddie's not going to stay. Surely they should be having conversations with people like World Cup winners. Well, listen, they, they need to uh, work out what they want to do moving forward and explain what they're doing moving forward. And, you know, as I said, that's that's up to Bill Sweeney. I, I'm still one of those 
rugby fans that doesn't really understand what the RFU do in rugby at the moment. I'm really, really, <laughs> uh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm being, that's not a rant. I'm just a bit lost in terms of my, you know, I mean, I'm a patriot. I love English rugby, but you know, we've had a couple of different CEOs uh, in the last few years and there's so much going on across the landscape of rugby as you've talked about with CVC and broadcasters and international v domestic and it's crying out for some strong leadership and I'm desperate to to get an understanding of of what the what the RFU's role in English rugby is and uh, and just to reaffirm that in my mind to give me confidence as a as a supporter of English rugby that that we have a governing body that is directing the future of the game uh, that has you know a vision about the future of the game that shares its concerns that's managing its coach in the right way uh, that's managing Lawrence, you said this wasn't going to be a rant it's managing its team in the right way and i, I this is Jones Moans all in one long, one long paragraph. We, is, is that Stephen Jones or Eddie Jones? Which, which one? <laughs> Let's put an end to my rant and uh, talk about the god and goddess of the week, as we always do. Mine is, is, is my driver, actually, Stuart, who took on the responsibility of taking me from uh, Edinburgh uh, at 11 o'clock at night on Saturday after my flight was cancelled all the way down to London. Uh, and he drove for seven hours in the most appalling conditions and delivered me to my home so I could get back home, look after my dad who's broken his hip. And uh, yeah, I'm very grateful. He's my God of the week. Oh, he sounds lovely. I wish you told told me about him when you were leaving. I'd have popped in the car with you. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Okay, well, I'll have a slightly controversial God of the week and, and um, uh, some people might find this preposterous, but I'd like to have Alice Genge as my God of the week because... Part of the conversation in the, in the week just gone is about personalities and character and being willing to stand up and say something and contribute to the game in that respect. And Ellis seems to do that. He might have called me a sausage, but he's welcome to that. Uh, so um, so uh, Ellis Genge is the God of the Week. Well, I think that's a, a worthy winner and a particular mention from the ruck to the performance of Sonia McLaughlin, both in an interview with Eddie Jones and actually with Ellis Genge. Oh, I thought she was... Yeah. She, she could easily be the goddess of the week because uh, we had not since um, Graham Simmons and we had someone who sticks to the questions and uh, very, very impressive indeed. Yeah, good shout, good shout. My thanks to Owen Slot and Stephen Jones. The next episode of our new series, How to Win a Grand Slam, will be out on Thursday morning. Owen is in conversation with former England captain Will Carling. And then the Ruck is back next Monday to look ahead to the third round of the Six Nations. Make sure you never miss an episode. Subscribe now via Acast, iTunes or your preferred podcast provider. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.